0: And welcome to these audio didactic recordings from Project Echo West Vic PHN Hub. All right, good morning. Um, we're going to get underway. Um, welcome to Project Echo. This is a West Vic PHN Hub. Um, this is the yeah West PHN Hub um, COVID-19 Echo Network Series 9, Session 5. It's Thursday, the 23rd of June. Welcome back. This session's titled Acute Respiratory Assessment in Primary Care, Revisiting Primary Care Models. So I'd like to begin by acknowledging um, the traditional owners and custodians of the lands and waterways from which we're all zooming in from today. We recognise their diversity, resilience and the ongoing place that First Nations people hold in our community. We pay respects to elders past and present and commit to working together in the spirit of mutual understanding, respect and reconciliation. So welcome back to this extraordinary session this morning in view of high case numbers of respiratory infections um, and the changing recommendations for testing and assessment. We as an echo team across COVID care pathways, workforce development and health pathways wanted to create space to continue last week's conversations. Um, Gemma's popped a poll up if you don't mind having a reflect... Uh, reflecting on your practice we've been throwing this poll up um, i guess over the last couple of years really so it'd be interesting to reflect upon um, where your practice is at in regards to models of respiratory care um and so we um this morning we'll be focusing on four key pieces we'll review the public health recommendations and changes in regards to testing assessment and treatment and the and again kate will revisit the the restructure just to get a little bit of an understanding about what's happening at the state public health level Um, we'll have an update on oral antivirals and influenza management recommendations we'll be reviewing our models of care for acute respiratory infections and um We'll consider how implementation of digital technologies have and can assist us with remote assessment where safe and appropriate to do so. And so through all of this, we'll be inviting you to reflect upon primary care as it was prior to the pandemic, as it is now in 2022, and and a bit about that journey uh, we've kind of been on. um, And we'll be seeking to understand how we can gather the relevant information to provide some sort of roadmap, I guess, for where we might be heading. Uh, So let's get underway. Um, learning outcome, session five. So I think, yeah, that's what everything's on there that I was describing. So um, we're gonna uh, evaluate our implementation of digital health technologies and the impact of adapting to a constantly changing environment on the workforce and think about our um, priorities for um, investment and support um, and access to respiratory infection testing and assessment in Victoria, as well as our own models of care and primary care. Great, so let's move forward. Uh, you, un- you, know, you all know what to do, uh, introduce yourself in the chat. And, um, let us know where you're zooming in from. Pop anything that you'd like to say in the chat as well about any of this and how things are going for you. Um, what else? And what's on the agenda today. So we're an apologies from Naomi White today. um, Kate Grahams. I'm gonna kick it off with both news and weather. She'll be talking about the public health and primary health network updates, but also inviting us to reflect upon our acute respiratory models in primary care. Dr. Avindya Ramili will be providing an antiviral update and some influenza recommendations. We're joined by Sarah Coe, digital health manager for West Vic PHN. Thanks so much for coming, Sarah. Sarah's popping in um, and mainly to listen to our conversations about where we've gotten up to with digital technologies and perhaps provide us an update in response to some of the things. Is that okay, Sarah? That you'll hear from us because uh, maybe give us a little bit of a, a sense of what else might be in the bag and we can kind of come back and have deeper conversations based on these conversations today and we're joined by Dr Carolyn Bartolo, uh, Infectious Diseases Physician for Bowen Southwest Public Health Unit and Ballarat Health Services who will be on panel for discussion particularly around some of these infection control pieces that might come up. All right so I think that's it from me over to you Kate we'll get underway.
1: Thanks everyone. Um, So in terms of changes this week, as always, the pandemic orders are coming in on midnight Friday, just in time for a weekend when nobody is actually at work um, to put in place the changes. Uh, So we've got masks will still be required in sensitive settings such as hospitals, care facilities. We know that from the last update, um, general practices are considered in the care facilities definition. So on public transport, taxis, rideshares and planes, thankfully, as we all head off on school holidays, positive cases are still going to have the same isolation period, but they're now going to have written in the directions that they're allowed to leave home to drive a household member directly to or from educational work without leaving the vehicle and as always able to leave home for medical care COVID tests in emergency, including the risk of harm as previous So workers who interact with a vulnerable person will still require three COVID-19 vaccine doses. However, some industries will have the booster mandate um, removed. So this is things like education. Visitor caps to care facilities, including residential aged care and disability are removed. Um, Rat tests will still be required. So hopefully we won't see a big impact on um, outbreaks in our settings there as a result so we'll just go on to the next slide. Um, So in terms of the health system restructure, we know that as of the 30th of June, I won't be employed by the uh, Department of Health anymore as the COVID task force winds up. Um, But all of the sort of things that were being managed by the COVID task force and CECOM centrally um, are going to be sort of handed over or have been handed over already for the most part to LPHUs so in terms of outbreak management COVID positive pathways are already well established in health services antiviral prescribing is happening for the majority now in primary care settings either through GP respiratory clinics or in primary care practices And vaccination and testing, Um, there may be reductions in some of the state-run services. So that's important to keep an eye out for So I think the main messages from me around this will be knowing your key communication points. So knowing how to escalate up any issues to your LPHUs, knowing how to escalate up for hospital escalations, for unwell patients on pathways, or for, patients who require early treatment therapies that aren't able to be provided in primary care. Um, Hotlines, so your central COVID hotlines are likely to begin redirecting calls to LPHUs rather than to central teams for advice. So if you had still been calling the central number um, and the GP line number um, that was from way back in possibly 2020, early 2021. I'm not sure when that ended up. That was usually directed through to one of the medical teams at CCom. That will now be directed to the LPHUs um, in the future. So I'll just go on to the next slide. There's not much change in these slides from last week. In fact, there's absolutely zero change. This is just a flag. Um, that we're coming to the end of the free flu vaccine program, Um, but just sort of keeping track of all your records about doses provided um, and thinking about those um, vulnerable 12 to 15 year olds who may need that additional booster dose. So we'll just go on to the next slide. keeping in mind all your references, resources, put bookmarks on things, put bookmarks on everything so you can find it when you need it at short notice. So the prescriber helpline is incredibly helpful. Um, The pharmacy sites are really going to be useful for yourself and your patients, as well as you're looking at antiviral prescribing Um, and the information around Tamiflu in residential aged care, having a chat to your aged care facility Um, where your patients are is also really important to sort of know about what stocks you have there. Um, And thinking again, as we talked last week about that 75 milligram dose of Tamiflu being the only one there. So thinking about the fact that that requires sort of normal renal function um, to prescribe that to a degree. So thinking about whether your um, renal function tests for your patients are up to date for both that and the COVID antivirals. So I'll just go on to the next page. So pulse check, where are we going? What are we doing with COVID cases? What's happening with flu? So in terms of COVID, our numbers are sort of stabilizing to decreasing overall over the last sort of week or two. Um, We know that the BA four or five variants are increasing. We don't have a lot of knowledge yet as to whether that is going to sort of create um, more of an increase in cases. We know that they're um, just that little bit more transmissible, but whether we actually already have the impact of vaccinations plus um, existing immunity from community-based infections already, we will wait and see with that. Um, What we probably have less data on just due to the fact that not everybody will get tested is influenza cases and influenza hospitalizations. And we know sort of anecdotally, and if you're in general practice at the moment, you will know that that is still an issue. So I think what we'd like to do today uh, from an ECHO perspective is just look back through ECHO. I mean, we're at series nine, we're at the end of series nine, which is an incredible thing that we have all been through. But looking at a hierarchy of control and actually thinking overall and stopping and thinking, what are we actually thinking about? What's our threat? Like, what do we want to protect ourselves from? So we're trying to protect ourselves from influenza. We're trying to protect ourselves from burnout. We're trying to protect ourselves from COVID. We're trying to do all of this at the same time. We're trying to protect ourselves from the health system falling in a hole. Um, and we're trying to keep things running. So there are lots of different things that we're trying to do simultaneously. And who or what do we want to protect? We want to protect ourselves, our practices, our vulnerable patients and sort of being able to think through with each issue and prioritise them. And I think really trying to create that space for yourself to be able to sort of stop, think about it Um, because you're all sort of running so fast that it's really, really hard to sort of actually stop, think um, and revisit sort of the structure of what you do, how your appointments are scheduled, um, what care we're actually providing um, and so hopefully we can um, make that a priority for ourselves over the next little while. And what are the barriers? There are lots of barriers. So I think what I really encourage everyone to do, so three key pressure points or issues for you or your patients in primary care at the moment. Um, I'd really like you to pop them in the chat along with any questions for today, as this is really going to direct not only the chat today, but it'll direct us going forward as well. Um, in terms of how we structure ECHO, how we can help get people to you to solve these problems together as a group. So with that, I'll hand back to you, Bianca.
0: Great, thanks so much, Kate. That's brilliant. So um, Gemma, do you mind popping a little, um, that reflection point in the chat of what are those three pressure points or pain points? The things that, uh, you know, I guess they're those, if you like, if we look at this from a... um, A systems perspective, you know, what are the bits that are frustrating you right now? What are the pieces that you're trying to puzzle and solve in your world around how you balance these competing demands? Um, Maybe it's actually a, a priority population, maybe it's a particular group you're trying to work for maybe it's a how your uh, clinic's infection control pieces are, maybe it's something about a, a, a guideline or a legislation you're trying to implement. You know, we cover the whole lot. So uh give us your, your burning, your pain points. I love them. Those frustrating things. Uh on the flip side of those are the opportunities. So that's um yeah, how we'll take this. Um so thanks for putting things in the chat. And what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna keep across that. And Chantany, I'm gonna come back to your question or your, your reflection. Perhaps I'll invite um Carol and Bartolo. To reflect upon that um, from a communicable diseases and infection control perspective, but I'd like to throw across now to Arvind to, um, for the didactic presentation for today. Nice to see you, Arvind. Welcome. Uh,
2: yeah, thanks a lot, Bianca. Um, yeah, so uh, sorry I don't have any uh, formal slides for this one, but um, I-, I thought I'd just talk about um, yeah, just antiviral updates, I guess, and. and really try and gauge um, how everyone is going with the prescribing. I think, um, yeah, it would be great to hear what's been happening in the community, how, you know, how you guys are all going um, with the, the antivirals, especially you know in the aged care setting, um, but also in the community and and what kind of resources um, you guys are using uh, to, to help out. Um, so I think the two main things that I wanted to kind of bring up um, was the uh, paediatric guidelines. So um, so firstly, the, the Royal Children's Hospital has come out with um, some uh, paediatric uh, guidelines or flowcharts, and I think um, uh, it's available on the website, but um, um, uh, we could probably um, send that around if, if need be as well. Um, but essentially, um, so uh, for uh, younger, um, uh, so for paediatrics, um, it's usually split up. Um, so these are these are early treatments, obviously um, for pediatric populations. It's it's um, split up in immunocompromised um, versus immunocompetent initially. So the the ones we actually and you know we've all kind of seen that um, the oral antivirals. Uh, there's no data for pediatrics, but um, the RCH have actually um, now said that we can use um, uh, Paxlovid in uh, severely immunocompromised. Um, paediatric cases, um, so they have you know, specific criteria regarding what constitutes um, significant immunosuppression. So it is, it is very s- um, specific still, but, um, but we can uh, use that if need be. So uh, I think um, what, what we're actually doing at, um, at Barwon Health is, is um, taking those referrals and then you know, discussing that with um, the Royal Children's Hospital team as well so um, we'd be very happy to help out if you um, come across any um, pediatric cases that you think might benefit um, so please um, uh, get in touch with us at the public health unit or, or even um, you can call the infectious diseases team at uh, Bowen health um, but but for immunocompetent people there's uh, still not too many options um, uh, inhaled uh, budesonide is one that they recommend as well um, and uh, uh, and there's a specific list of kind of comorbidities um, in not up-to-date um, paediatric cases that would that would qualify um, for, for that. Um, so so yeah, so it, um, have a look at those uh, flow charts and guidelines and, and, and by all means, um, please get in touch with us uh, if you'd like to talk about a case that you think might benefit um, or um, you'd like us to, to help sort out as well. Um, The second thing, yeah, I just wanted to kind of um, talk about is uh, aged care prescribing um, and kind of gauge how everyone is going with that. Um, I think, um, uh, you know, uh, it it sounds like, you know, from a public health perspective, um, things are going great. And I think, um, you know, a a lot of the antivirals are being prescribed appropriately and in a a timely fashion. Um, I I think... um, one of the, the key messages I wanted to get across was that really that, um, you know, obviously we're using these antivirals to um, reduce uh, the severity or the, the risk of um, severe COVID illness, but, but also that there can be implications on transmission as well. So, you know, for example, with um, Tamiflu and influenza, you know, we've been using that for a long time. And, and you know, we've been using that in, in um, aged care outbreaks Uh, to reduce symptoms to reduce risk of severity but but also to reduce um uh transmission potentially as well And, and that's what um these COVID 19 oral antivirals can do i mean we're still awaiting you know formal data about that but mechanistically it makes sense um you know as an antiviral um to reduce symptoms reduce uh reduces viral load um and uh Uh, reduce transmission as well so that's quite a big kind of implication especially for sensitive settings such as um, uh, aged care outbreaks so I think um, uh, and you know uh, I know there's been some talk about the PBS criteria as well and you know um, trying to kind of um, uh, obviously prescribe in line with the PBS criteria which is uh, completely appropriate um, uh, we, we would recommend a low threshold, however, for, um, you know, where it says, you know, sign, one sign or symptom um, consistent with COVID-19. I know um, some might not have any signs or symptoms, um, some patients, but but particularly in um, these populations such as aged care or disability settings, um, a lot of these patients can present um, with uh, quite atypical um, signs and symptoms. So, you know, even Fatigues, you know, mild, soft throat, um, you know, uh, maybe a little bit of tachypnea um, if, if their vital signs are abnormal. Um, you know, these are all um, things that would constitute and, and feel, fulfill that criteria um, for the PBS. So I think um, uh, definitely... Um, you know, having that low threshold because of all these kind of benefits for, for antivirals that we're seeing is, is um, definitely appropriate and, and by all means, once again, you know, if, if you're unsure, um, uh, please get in touch with us, uh, we can help out um, and, you know, we have appropriate kind of escalation pathways as well, so, so um, you know, we can help with um, prescribing and things like that if need be. So. So um, definitely get in touch with us at the Public Health Unit. Um, Avin,
0: can I just pause for a moment there? Because just picking up, thanks for that um, presentation about aged care and to viral prescribing. And we've been having some conversations. Um, you know, Last week we talked about preparedness. I had a great chat with Anna Glue talking about um, preparing patients in aged care. Um, we also last week went back over uh, back in 2020 when the outbreaks were occurring in aged care we were thinking about some of those atypical symptoms because it was really important that we pick those up because the management of that was an outbreak response right so (laughs) and so I'm just trying to recall Kate or Anna help me out There was something that we were talking about that was a guideline that assisted with those atypical symptoms. What was that guideline we were referencing back then?
1: So there's a safer care um, aged care check. So I'll um, find that and pop a list in the chat. And that's something that aged care facilities do every day. Um, But just I'll also pop in the chat a list of the um, non-expected symptoms. But really in aged care, you can expect any symptom really it can be a fall it can be decreased appetite um, increased drowsiness it's it's really a much higher chance of those non-respiratory symptoms being prevalent
0: yeah Yeah. great okay so that safer care aged care checklist hopefully a useful guide and i'm thinking of and that's probably a good one uh for us to also kind of you know just in terms of okay we should be you know you've raised awareness we should be thinking about it what else supports us in practice maybe that aged care checklist Uh, and and then if we feel that we need that little bit of extra um, perhaps support around the um, eligibility or the need to start but I guess also uh, you know from an Alpaghetsu perspective um, you know Like, do we? Is there any special reporting around sensitive settings at the moment? And uh, do you guys otherwise want to know about
1: this?
2: Um, so we we would typically um, you know know about a, a an aged care outbreak through the public health unit. So um, uh, you know the facilities themselves will, will get in touch with us, and, and um, you know we would help out from you know an outbreak management perspective. Um, we are obviously. Uh, requesting help with the prescription of antivirals, which is happening in, in, in the community. So, that you know, right. that seems really good. Um, but for, you know, for, for things that you're unsure of in, in terms of the antivirals, um, uh, in terms of prescribing, definitely get in touch with us. We're, we're you know, a, a valuable resource to, to help out. Um, I, I think um, one of the other things was uh, that we noticed that, um, at times is um, just a, a familiarity. Familiarity around um, the administration of the certain um, antivirals, well, so the the molnupiravir. Um, just to note, uh, you know, uh, you can open the capsules and um, mix it with water, disperse it with water. So, so you know, especially in in um, certain populations with swallowing difficulties and things like that, um, uh, that becomes important. So. Um, you know, we're always happy to help out with advice regarding that. And, you know, our pharmacy um, at the hospital would be happy to, to provide some advice um, for, for those kind of things as well.
0: We also wondered about Tamiflu. I think um, we have that in the ph- um, aged care facilities and we talked last week about um, perhaps people with um, abnormal renal function. Any, did you end up catching up with the pharmacy about that? Is there any further advice?
2: Oh, uh, well, um, I mean, usually with, um, you know, renal impairment, we would dose reduced uh, Tamiflu. Um, uh, so similar to kind of, you know, the, the, the Paxlivids, um, uh, if I was 30 to 60, we would dose reduced. So, it
0: comes uh, um, capsule. Uh, so we thought maybe if it's a BD dose, is that correct, guys? I mean, I'm not prescribing this. So if it's a BD dose, can we just give it daily? Or do we, can we, do we have to order a, a, a smaller dose?
2: Um, usually, from memory, I think it's um, 30 milligrams. If it's a slight reduction in um, in uh, renal function, then it's, uh, I think it's 30 milligrams twice a day, but I'd have to double check that as yeah. those guidelines. Um, it's
0: because the know. 75s are what we've got, I think, on site. Is that right, Kay?
1: Yeah, I think one of the issues is that the 75 milligrams has been what's been provided to aged care. Um, And so there's that increased chance of delay beyond that 48 hour window, particularly for some of the regional or rural um, aged care facilities who may have sort of um, pharmacies that only provide via post, um, if we then have a delay that requires um, non-impressed stock. And so they don't actually have the 30 milligrams in stock because that wasn't what was provided by the government Um, So I think what was suggested last week by Rachel was that maybe we could just give the 175 milligram dose as a single once a day dose as a once off, hope that the next day we could get access to the 30 milligram dose. Um, But I think that those are probably situations in which we might want to have a chat with a pharmacist um, and see what we could do that would be safest for the patient. Um, I'm not sure as well if their capsules can be broken up.
0: Mm. So. Yeah, so I don't know. I mean, maybe if that's one, um, that if if it's if there's some guidance for us about that or maybe, um, you know, if you guys are able to have a chat with pharmacy and just find out how we might handle that on the ground.
2: Yeah, definitely, definitely. I think, um, yeah, I can certainly have a chat with our hospital pharmacy here and um, maybe we can uh, send around some guidance guidance about that as well um, great
0: um as in asks how recent should renal function tests be when it comes to i know with on um, Paxlovid we've had conversations and said uh, probably within six months i mean of course it depends on you know what someone's renal function is or their risk factors is uh but um with uh, Tamiflu, uh, what would you say would be reasonable
2: I, I think like you know um yeah similar to uh, Paxlovid, um you know within kind of usually i, I go kind of you know within s- six months to be honest um and it, but it depends on like you know clinical kind of risk factors and things like that like you know if you've you got a patient who's uh, quite comorbid you know um uh, with diabetes for example and you don't have anything recently um that's when Yeah, you might want to check it. Um, So I think you've got to use some clinical discretion as well, but um, ballpark probably six months.
0: Yeah, Yeah. and then again, just to kind of promote again this idea of uh, uh, really winter preparedness in residential aged care facilities. Taking maybe thinking about taking that time to go out and review medications um you know bloods, making sure that kind of really at the beginning of the season or even now um maybe going out and tidying up our records so that we kind of are quite clear about all that so when it comes time to prescribing these life-saving drugs um Mm -hmm. and drugs that can interrupt transmission that we we're kind of quite across and able to safely prescribe so i think we'll continue to have
1: like making sure that you actually that your nursing home staff know if the um if their blood tests are only available out there, like if you don't have access to them from your own medical records, if the medical records are kept only at the nursing home facility, as long as they know where to find them or you've got some way to check them remotely, because you'll be getting those phone calls and the phone calls will be for five residents all at once. And if you can have a process where they know how to find everything all at once and they can just read you out the EGFRs, it can make life so much more pleasant.
0: Sounds good. Now, Avind, I think, um, was there anything else that you wanted to update us about today?
2: Uh, I don't think so, to be honest. I think, yeah, that, those are the main kind of things I wanted to uh, talk about. So, yeah. Um, Great. To-
0: um, I've got one question. Like, uh, at the moment, because we are increasing flu testing, public health recommendations for people with influenza, let's say um, someone comes, you know, they, they find out they've got positive Flu. The positive for flu. Um, perhaps they don't. If they need a respiratory assessment, well, that's what we'll be talking about shortly, as in terms of our models of care. But if actually they don't need respiratory assessment and really what they just want is a work certificate, um, there's no restrictions. But what are public health recommendations for influenza in terms of isolation periods?
2: Um, so, uh, I mean, in in you know, in the community, you know, we. Uh, wouldn't necessarily, um, you know, enforce any kind of, uh, you know, isolation or things like that, such, such as COVID, no, there's nothing No, well, like there's
0: that. no restrictions, is there?
2: No, okay. so um, only in sensitive settings is when we would um, uh, institute some of that. Um, yeah. so...
0: and, oh, Caroline's on the line. Recommendations?
3: Hi.
0: Good morning, Hi. Caroline. Hi. Good
3: morning, thanks. Um, yeah, look, just with influenza, I can say sort of for staff, for example, um generally would say five days but if they take tamiflu they will have to stay home for three days for example um because it is very good at you know uh reducing that infectiousness so um and then in the community usually the advice is you know until your symptoms resolve which is usually about three to five days so um that's what we recommended by
0: okay let me just see if i've got this right so for our patients three to five days um if we're thinking about it as a workplace thing which may be us thinking about our own staff or Mm -hmm. maybe thinking about you know certification for someone who is wanting to go back to work it might be five days isolation recommended to for contagiousness yeah if they're on tamiflu then three days
3: yeah, if they're on Tamiflu, then three days. Um, and we do the same for patients, you know, inpatients as well. So uh, I think it should be similar in the community then.
1: Is that and workable? It's likely, it's likely that in the new CDNA aged care guidelines that it's going to be a five-day um, isolation period for um, aged care you know, for CN, uh, for influenza. CDNA stands for what, Kate? Uh, the Communicable Disease Network Australia and so they're the organisation that put together all the guidance around infectious diseases that then gets put out to the states um, gotcha. and then translated into their own messaging but um, we know that Deb Friedman's been working on that one so have I just missed that or is that a new thing no it's all it's always been there we just probably haven't had a great deal to do with it because In Victoria, we've had quite a different um, sort of policy to the CDNA nationally because we had those initial outbreaks that needed a lot more intensive management than the CDNA guidelines. So we sort of had some things that sort of stepped away from that, whereas other states were following them and just putting the CDNA guidelines as their state guidelines effectively uh, for COVID. Um, So other states probably got to know them a lot better than we have, but we may get to know them much better
0: on going forward
1: okay all right
0: that's good to know all right um now I just wanted to throw um something around so Caroline um Shantini puts in the chat uh, a concern yeah. about um COVID positive parents dropping um really I guess we're talking about um infants and children off at daycare and kinder and uh yeah. you know any any thoughts about
3: uh, the way we might message this for our community I guess it's really our role yeah, good question. I mean, the information I have is basically what, you know, what's on the premier's letter, which is essentially that you're not supposed to leave the car. Um, but I guess if we, you know, really think about what is the risk, you know, so if, if the parent is wearing a mask, um, if it is just a minute or two, then the risk is, is still relatively low. Um, I think the, the risk is higher sort of of the actual child being dropped off, I suppose, who is more likely to, to be positive. Um, I suppose, but sort of drop-offs and pickups don't usually take lots of time. So, in the scheme of things, it's probably not, um, you know, not 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 the biggest risk anyway to others. And and um, I'm not sure about other childcare, but for example, our childcare has a specific door, you know, for certain drop-offs and pickups. So presumably they'd be using um, that. I know we're going into winter, but I'm sure that they'd have. Some other strategy to be engineering to allow, controls. Yeah, like. yeah, to allow parents to drop them off safely. If that's if that's the case, because you know, presumably you have to let them know that you're positive, etc. So
1: okay, great. I Thank think you, you just you just call in advance, and um, yeah. someone can come out and collect your car, your child from the car from box, the car. Yeah, know. yeah.
3: It depends how many. people people
1: and like what the safety kind of thing is it's you know it's all practical and I think that we're now in a situation where there's a lot less um sort of appetite for um sort of penalizing people for what are effectively sensible um and sort of low risk infectious decisions
0: mm. okay yeah. great thanks caroline um there was a comment that I, uh, mm. you know I was sorry actually coming back to what arvind was saying about uh what to do if you wanted some clinical support around pediatric prescribing and the pathways for Bowen uh, with your now your infectious diseases hat on for the ballarat and grampians region um mm. what can people in your footprint do if they would like if they have a, a, a paed that might fit the criteria uh, where's their best place to go for that point of that's care that's a good advice? question
3: i don't think we've actually had a discussion about that so i'll actually bring it up with the group um haven't actually had a direct discussion with the pediatricians so i, I suppose in the meantime it would be the royal children's yep. you know probably um but we are trying to facilitate you know in ballarat we are trying to to be able to facilitate things like remdesivir and that sort of thing so um you the, know once we are the, the ID the right team at hide- ballarat is that yeah, right? once we yeah. have the right advice, we can facilitate the actual treatment. But the advice itself, I think, would have to come from the Royal Children's. But I'll, I'll touch base with our paediatricians and give you an update.
0: Yeah, great. Thanks. And I guess Janine's on the line. So I just wanted to make sure there's someone from GPLU um for Ballarat just to maybe follow the trail of that piece so that we know what what to kind of communicate to that part of our world um so can we open a Tamiflu capsule and estimated dose equivalent for 30 milligram for aged care patients with renal impairment mm-hmm. so I think this is what we're wondering of India yeah, could we crack up in those capsules and try to estimate or do you want to take that back to I don't um, think you're pharmacy? supposed to do that <laughs> yeah. Okay, let's
2: Yeah, I'd probably have to defer that to a pharmacist, I think. Yeah.
0: So. <laughs> okay, great. Good question. We've given Harvard some homework. Sorry about that, Harvard. <laughs> Well, that almost concludes our didactic content for this morning. We won't bring you the recording of the case discussion, but come along and join the discussion next week. Um, we've got only a couple of minutes left and Sarah, um, thanks for coming along today. Do you mind just introducing yourself and talking about, um, we've probably got only about a minute, but I'm going to, i really like to invite you back because um, this is an interesting conversation because we're talking about future-proofing primary care, right? And and Caroline will be interested, Callum Bartola will be interested that we're trying to no touch a lot of our systems because do we really want that person who we've ordered the respiratory panel now under the guidelines walking into primary care to pick up the slip or do we want to try to if they don't need face-to-face assessment be able to comply with those orders remotely and how can our digital tech help us so sarah quickly over to you
4: Thank you. So, yes, I'm Sarah Crowe. Thanks for having me. Um, I'm the Digital Health Manager at Vic PHN. And the good news is that, yes, e-requesting is a thing now. Um, and I've got the list up in front of me. So, for example, if you're referring to Australian Clinical Labs, ACL, at the moment, they've got integrated e-ordering functionality within Best Practice, Medical Director, MedTech and ZMed, so the four major um, oh. Yes, wow. <laughs> and it's actually really easy to set up. Most people, most clinics already have the software in the back end. It's actually just a matter of probably a practice manager ringing up um, ACL and going, turn us turn on us for on. e-ordering.
0: Light us
4: up. And the beautiful, yeah, exactly. And the beautiful thing is that um, you can still, if if the if you had a patient that might go to a different pathology, you can still print the slip and they can take that anywhere. Um, But certainly for these models, it sounds like it'd be really helpful. Um, The other positive of doing it this way is that it will automatically get uploaded to the My Health Record, both the e-order and the result. Uh, So we start populating the My Health Record with um, information that the patient can have access to, that they can share with any, any other specialists or any other providers that they see. Um, so yeah, it's very exciting space. It is a very exciting space. Are, but it
0: does make me think, let's think about digital privacy if it automatically uploads to my health record. Because I think before we head down that, we want to make sure we don't up, automatically upload our chlamydia and our 15-year-old to my health record or 14-year-old without knowing how where that's going. So most but, you know, so there's a few things that we might want to think Yeah, about.
4: most of them do have a tick box. So there's also a list there of um, a lot of the softwares that people use, there's a tick box that you can do when you send that e-order saying, "Do not send report to my health yeah. record." So you can opt out of that really easily through a tick box. Um, it's a it's an opt out rather than an opt in kind of thing. It will automatically get uploaded, but you can tick the box. No, I don't want this to go to the My Health Record. Mm-hmm. And obviously, if they've opted out of the My Health Record, it obviously won't go on anywhere. Okay,
0: either. well that's interesting. I'm seeing. Um, I'm thinking, guys, Echo, we've got a little digital health project. We could start for series ten. Let's see how we can implement e um, e ordering. requesting, yeah. E requesting, or e ordering.
4: Some people call it e ordering as well.
0: Yeah. Okay. Let's see if we can integrate. You guys have integrated tele video. You've integrated e scripts. Let's get e requesting happening. And let's understand that a bit more depth. So let's see how Sarah's team can help us out with our practice managers and practice facilitators to get that happening. Okay. Sounds like a good idea? Yeah. Okay. That sounds good. All right. All right. We're at 8.31, guys. Apologies for holding you over by a minute. Um, but I think it's been a really interesting conversation. Nice to have a bit more space. I'm going to really get into um, uh, the, ch- the chat. Um, Lee Meekin loves Anita Phillips. Big fan. That's really... <laughs> Um, please evaluate the session Um, jump in and let us know anything that you think you wanted to talk about or you know if it sparked any other ideas and let's kind of come back and talk about these models of care down the track Uh, remind you about this excellent presentation on long COVID and ECFS from our refresher and Gemma will stick I think you'll put the link yeah the YouTube in the chat it was a really great top to toe on on COVID um, if you missed it um thanks so much um carolyn and arvin for coming um thanks so much to anna and anita and lee for presenting and sarah for um providing that digital update and kate as always uh we are now on break when are we coming back fee and Gemma? i think have we got a date was it the something like the 21st 21st 21st. of july yep so keep in touch you know where we are project deco at westwickphn.com com.au if you want to write to us in the meantime. Um of course Naomi White, you know, she doesn't take a break, so get in touch if you need anything around COVID care pathways. Now I know what the new processes are through the LPHUs. So pick up the phone to them because they are now the new, the new guys, the new, the new communicable diseases central.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Okay. Thanks everyone. Thanks for listening and come along and join the discussion next week. Google Westfic, PHN Project Echo COVID-19 Pandemic Response Network. And you'll find a way to register. By registering, we'll send you reminders each week and we'll let you know what's coming up in the sessions. And you'll also receive our resource pack that includes notes, podcasts, webinars, slide decks, and any resources mentioned in the discussion. Thanks for listening.